Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So, uh, as I said um, tonight, I wanted to share the story of Devadatta um, with you and uh, explore together some learnings that uh, that strike me as I, I read about <clears throat> about his journey. How many people are familiar with Devadatta to some extent? Just a couple. Okay, just a few. So, um, he's like the bad guy in uh, <laughs> in the in the Theravadan uh, in the Pali Canon, the life of the Buddha. The Buddha had a number of mm, people who were jealous or wanted to discredit, and um, um, but he was the uh, the main arch um, rival in his mind, not in the Buddha's mind. Um, and uh, it's interesting that um, he started out um, very um, with a very good motivation to uh, join the order and become a monk. He actually was uh, a relative of the Buddha. He was the Buddha's first cousin, uh, and he was also the brother of the Buddha's wife, Yasudhara, who the Buddha left to go on his journey. So he was both his cousin and his brother-in-law. Um, so they knew each other. Right? And he joined, you know, after the Buddha came back from his, um, his quest, and uh, about a year after he was enlightened, he came back to his uh, hometown and um, share the teachings. And a number of um, relatives uh, and, uh, and friends joined the order. And Devadatta joined one of those early years. Uh, he joined the same time that Ananda joined, and they were also relatives. Uh, Ananda was, the Buddha, was a Buddhist cousin as well. So he, he joined and um, he had... A sincere practice for some time, but he was more inclined to develop um, psychic powers. So, and it's true that you can develop very strong powers of concentration or powers that come out of concentration. Uh, all kinds of interesting, amazing things. Mm. I, I remember, this is just, I didn't plan to say this, but it's coming now. I remember on one, one of my first longer retreats um, where I, I was working a lot with uh, concentration and it was, it was really cool. Um, wow, this is really neat. And I happened to, um, I didn't do reading, but I did decide to do some reading uh, as I was getting more concentrated, and I uh, decided to check out the Visuddhimagga, which is uh, called the Path of It's the Path of Purification, written by as a commentary by one of the great uh, commentators, uh, Buddha Gosa, about 500, uh, 500 A.D. Um, about how to develop the mind, both in concentration and then in insight. And I remembered opening up to the concentration half, saying, okay, well, what's going on here? And I opened up to these pages that said, very matter-of-factly, well, you do this, 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 and this, and then you can uh, walk through walls. This, 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 and this, and you can... Uh, uh, um, appear in uh, several places at the same time. This, 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 and this, and you can read past lives and 
you know, read people's minds. There were like five of these super mundane, you know, and I just closed the book. I said, okay, I think I have a little ways to go. Don't get too excited here. Um, but it is, it's possible just be open to the possibility. You don't have to believe any of this, but it is possible to develop the mind uh, in very extraordinary ways. And the Buddha mastered the psychic powers, and, but he didn't stop there. Then he, um, he opened up to uh, insight to what real freedom was. In fact, before he, he became enlightened, he had practiced with two of the great um, concentration teachers uh, that were around and developed you know, very high states of concentration. And each one, both of them said, well, you've learned everything that I have to teach. Why don't you come here and teach with me? And he said, no, 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 I, I, there's more. I'm, I'm not free. I want to keep on uh, going until I, I know what true freedom is. I can feel in, in my mind and my heart there's still more work to do. David Datta um, got sidetracked on the power side. And we have all of these stories, whether it's um, uh, Darth Vader uh, and, and, and the, the force uh, of, of evil swept over him, or um, you know, Gollum in the ring, or whatever power is uh, is a very seductive kind of a thing. And it was with uh, Devadatta. So he never did develop insight and freedom. Mm-hmm. But he was in the order for uh, many years, and all of this stuff happened where things really got out of hand uh, in the 37th year of the Buddha's teaching. The Buddha taught for 40 years, for 45 years, um, when he was uh, started at the age of 35 and until he uh, died at the age of 80. So the Buddha was 72, according to um, these, this account, uh, when Devadatta started to, um, to um, make things very difficult for the Sangha and himself. This, by the way, uh, this account, you can read about it in a number of accounts, but this is a book, in case you're interested, that uh, if you want to go to the sources in the Pali Canon, this book is called The Life of the Buddha, and it's uh, written by uh, Bhikkhu uh, Nyanamoli, um, I think this came out like in 1972 or so, Buddhist uh, Publication Society, but it's, it's still available now. And what Nyanamoli did was tell the life story of the Buddha, but have it um, all the teachings coming from the Pali Canon. So he would tell a bit of the story and then um, uh, give the actual place in the Pali Canon. Oh, this is from the uh, Sutta Nipata um, uh, or Samyutta Nikaya 43, or this is uh, Majjhima Nikaya 22. And so he cites all the sources. So this is a, a good way both to get the story of the Buddha and also the, um, uh, the source of it. Okay, so... 37th year in the order, um, and uh, just, he sees all these people enlightened, he sees the Buddha, his brother-in-law, and, and, and cousin, um, just in all of his glory, and um, he became very jealous. I think it was coming for a while but at, the, at some point, his jealousy overtook him. And he, um, he wanted more power. And he wanted, actually, to, uh, to take over the Sangha. He said, I mean, it, this is how 
contracted and oblivious the mind can get in one's greed for power. I want this. Can you imagine, you know, there's the Buddha doing just fine. And this guy who's not fully cooked saying, I want to run the Sangha. Out of touch with reality. Um, And by the way, you can take this story on whatever level, whether metaphorically or as, as what perhaps happened, um, that you can take it as an archetypal, if nothing else. I'll just share with you the story as, it's, as it comes through. So first, um, in this story as it's presented here, he decides he wants to be treated well. So he goes to um, the, a pr- the prince of the local kingdom, Prince uh, Ajatasattu, uh, and he he wants to upgrade his his life, so he goes to uh, to the prince, and he uh, does with his psychic powers does some uh, does some miracles, and he he said he disguises himself as a young man with snakes all all around him, right. And he approaches the the prince, who is very scared and disturbed, saying, Oh my goodness, who are you? And then he says, uh, I'm Devadatta, the monk. And then he comes back to um, his robes and and appearance, uh, very impressive. And the prince is saying, Whoa, you've, you've got some powers here. What are you into? He said, I'm a monk, and uh, I would like to um, be taken care of, basically. And he wins over the prince. Uh, And he's getting fed well. He's getting um, um, taken care of and honored and getting some renown in in the kingdom. And that's when uh, the, the other, some of the other monks are complaining to the Buddha, look at what he's into. What's going on here? And they are starting really to, to badmouth him. And the Buddha says at that point, <clears throat> he's told, Lord, Prince Ajatasattu goes to wait on Devadatta each evening and, and morning with 500 carriages and 500 offerings of milk rice as a gift of food. Now, the number 500, it just means a lot in those days. And the, the, and the Buddha says, Bhikkhus, do not begrudge Devadatta his gain, honor, and renown. Just as if, I'll share this simile, if one were to break a gallbladder under a fierce dog's nose, the dog would get much fiercer so too, as long as Prince Ajatasattu keeps waiting on Devadatta as he's doing, so long may wholesome states be expected to diminish and not increase in Devadatta. Just as a plantain bears its fruit for its own destruction and its own undoing, so too Devadatta's gain, honor, and renown have arisen for his self-destruction and his own undoing. So don't be jealous. Don't wish you were him, don't, he's got his own karma to unfold. Okay. So, um, then as he is getting uh, up more upscale, he decides it's time, you know, he, in some renown, it's time to, uh, to make his move. And he goes to the Buddha in front of everyone, in front of the whole Sangha, and he says, um, Lord, the Blessed One is now old, aged, burdened with years, advanced in life, and come to the last stage. Let the Blessed One now rest. Let him dwell in bliss in the present life. Let him hand over the Sangha of Bhikkhus to me. I will govern the Sangha of Bhikkhus. Uh Uh-uh. 
Enough, Devadatta, do not aspire to govern the Sangha of Bhikkhus. A second time he asks and receives the same answer. And then the proverbial third time he asks. Sometimes when you ask three times, you get your wish. Not here. This is what the Buddha says. The third time he says, I would not hand over the Sangha of Bhikkhus even to Sariputta or Moggallana, his two main disciples. How should I do so to such a wastrel, a clot of spittle as you? So this is something I wanted to share with you. The Buddha wasn't always the nicey-nice guy. He could be fierce. And Devadatta thinks, before the public, including the king, the Blessed One has disgraced me with the words clot of spittle and praised Sariputta and Moggallana. And he became incredibly angry and indignant. And with that grudge, he was going to get back at the Buddha. Okay, you can see the story unfolding now. <clears throat> but it's, it's something to just consider. However you take the Buddha saying, I wouldn't give it to you, you wastrel and clot of spittle. We usually think of the Buddha as just unbearable compassion who wants to make everyone connect with their goodness inside. The Buddha, one of the names of the Buddha, one of the monikers of the Buddha is the teacher of those who could be taught. I really like that name, those who could be taught, because not everybody could be taught, like Devadatta or these folks who tried to discredit him. And in those times, he could be extremely fierce. Now, in my mind, I would imagine he's just really waking him up and saying, don't go there. You asked me three times. It's time you wake up, buddy. Forget it. Hopefully, there was compassion in his heart as he said it, but what is called fierce compassion you can be very strong and take a very fierce stand um, when, you, uh, when there's, it's appropriate. Okay, so <clears throat> then this is what the Buddha does next. He addresses the bhikkhus. Now bhikkhus, let the sangha carry out an act of public denunciation in Rajgaha against Devadatta thus, saying, I want you to say this, formerly Devadatta had one nature. He was a, a decent guy. Now he has another. Whatever Devadatta may do by body or speech, neither the Blessed One nor the Dhamma nor the Sangha should be held as having a part, it, part in it. Only Devadatta himself is to be held responsible for it. And when he says that, then he addresses Sariputta, his main disciple, and says, Now, Sariputta, you must denounce Devadatta in Rajgaha. So he sends his top guy, go public and say, We don't want to have anything to do with Devadatta. Getting fiercer. And at first... Sariputta's response is, Lord, I've, before now I've spoken in Devadatta's favor. Thus, the son of Godi is mighty and powerful. How can I denounce him in Rajgaha? And the Buddha says, Were you not speaking the truth in praising Devadatta thus? Yes, Lord, I was. Then likewise, speaking truth, you must denounce him in Rajgaha. Even so, Lord, okay, I'll do it. <clears throat> so he goes and denounces him, but there's people 
in, uh, in, in the area when they hear this, thinking, some of them, not all of them, some of them thinking, oh, these monks, son of Sakins, are jealous of Devadatta and his gain and honor and renown. Some of them say, there's got to be a reason for the Buddha to, to say this and have uh, Sariputta denounce him. So there was a bit of a split, those who Devadatta had impressed and those who he hadn't. <clears throat> so now Devadatta is really, you know, there are lines been drawn in the sand. Devadatta decides he wants some, um, some backing and some force. And so he goes to Ajatasattu, the prince, and says, um, hey, look, you're the prince. You don't know how long you're going to be living here. Um, you, might, uh, you, you might die before your father dies. Uh, what if you become king and I become the head of the Sangha? He said, well, what should I do? He said, well, why don't you kill your father? You become the king, I become the head of the Sangha. We'll figure it out. <clears throat> so Ajatasattu, swayed by the power that Devadatta has over him, decides, okay, I'm going to do it. I trust this guy, I'm going for the power. So he has a, a, a knife, a dagger, and he's going towards the king's chambers when the, um, the palace guard stop him and they search him and they see that he has a dagger. And he says, um, and he's asked, what, are you, what were you going to do? And he says, at least according to the story, I was going to kill my father. And then they say, okay, we've got to tell you, we've got to tell his father, what should we do? Some of the officers, this is just an interesting side part of the story, some of the officers were of the opinion that the prince should be killed and Devadatta and all of the bhikkhus, all of, you know, like, let's just get rid of all of them. We'll, we'll, we'll get rid of the whole order. Others were of the opinion that the bhikkhus should not be killed since they had done no wrong, but that the prince and Devadatta should be killed. Oh, no, excuse me. I, at this point, there were bhikkhus that were following Devadatta, so uh, it was his bhikkhus. Right. So some of them, others were the opinion the bhikkhus shouldn't be killed, but that the prince and Devadatta should be killed. And some others were of the opinion that neither the prince nor Devadatta nor the bhikkhu should be killed, but that the king should be informed and his orders carried out. He should decide what to do. And when they come to the, the king and they say, this is what's gone on, and uh, the king says, well, uh, what were the opinions of you guys? What did you think you should do? And he was told the three responses. This is what he said. Um, no, no. He says, what have the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha to do with it? Had not, has not Devadatta been denounced by the Blessed One? So it was doing in uh, all of the bhikkhus. And then he decided this was his go going to be his response to the officers, the king. This is King uh, Bimbisara. Then he, he stopped the pay of those officers whose opinions had been that the prince, Devadatta, and the bhikkhu should be killed. He downgraded, demoted those officers whose opinion had been that the bhikkhus, having done no wrong, shouldn't be killed, but that the prince and Devadatta should be killed. And then he promoted those officers who said, leave it up to the king. <laughs> then he goes to his, his son and he said, I heard what you're going to do. Why did you want to kill me? And the son says, I want the kingdom, sire. 
And the king says, if you want the kingdom, prince, the kingdom is yours. And he gives it to him. He might have reached the end. I don't need it. If my son wants to kill me, he's so, so bad. Maybe he had love for his son or maybe he just was from that kind of a temperament. If you want to kill me, I don't want you to suffer the bad karma of doing that here. Here's the kingdom. And Ajatasattu becomes king, which gets a little dicey later on in the story. Um, so now Devadatta has the king of, of, the, uh, of the area on his side. So now he, um, he decides to, um, to take some strong measures <clears throat> to do the Buddha in. And he has three attempts to kill the Buddha. The first one, this is his plan. He gets one guy, one of the, the, the king's uh, guard, army, uh, to go and kill. It's his job to kill the Buddha. And then follow when that guy comes out to, this is how it says in the story, two more men kill that guy. And then four, and when those two come out, four more kill those two so that there won't be any trace, although it's getting more and more. And finally, uh, what was it? Eight men, eight men supposed to kill the four and then 16 men, right? A little bit misguided. So what happens is the first guy goes in and he's going to kill the Buddha, but the Buddha, he sees the Buddha, but as he's drawing near, he grows frightened and all of a sudden he gets rigid and still and the Buddha sees him and he says, come here, friend, don't be afraid. So he goes up to the Buddha. He lays down his sword and shield, puts down his bow and quiver, goes up to the Buddha and prostrates himself at his feet, saying, Lord, I've transgressed. I've done wrong like a fool confused and blundering since I came here with evil intent, with intent to do murder. Lord, may the Blessed One forgive my transgression as such for restraint in the future. And the Buddha says, Surely, friend, you have transgressed. You've done wrong like a fool confused and blundering since you came here with evil intent, the intent to, to murder me. But since you see your transgression as such and so act in accordance with the Dhamma, we forgive it. For it is growth in the noble one's discipline when a man sees his transgression as such and so acts in accordance with the Dhamma and enters upon restraint for the future. And then the Buddha says, come, I'm going to teach you a little bit about the Dharma. And lo and behold, he gives him a great discourse and the guy wakes up and touches at first stage of awakening. And the Buddha says, don't go back the way you came. Maybe he was on to something. He says, go back another way. Just go, go through that, that path. Take a different path back. Well, after a while, the next two are wondering, what's going on here? This guy's taking a long time. So they go, same thing happens. And each successive group goes through forgiveness of the transgression, gets the teaching, and they become partially awakened. So, um, curses foiled again. That's the first one. First attempt. Second attempt... David Datta decides to take things in his own hands. Okay, if nobody else can do this, 
then uh, I've got to do it myself. So uh, he goes to where the the Buddha is uh, walking up and down in the shade of what's called Vulture Peak Rock. And Devadatta climbs the Vulture Peak Rock and he hurls a huge stone thinking, I shall take the monk Gotama's life with this. The stone, two spurs of the rock come together and catch the stone. But a splinter of that stone hits the Buddha and gets him in the foot pretty badly. And he looks up and says to Devadatta, misguided man, you have made much demerit, for with evil intent, with the intent to do murder, you've drawn the blood of the Buddha. And then the Buddha says to the bhikkhus, bhikkhus, this is the first deed with immediate effect on rebirth that Devadatta has stored up in that with evil intent, with intent to do murder, he's drawn the blood of a Buddha. So it's going to be bad from here on in. And actually it's said that the Buddha had had a bad foot for for some time. So let's just stop here for, uh, for a moment and check that out. How could that be? Well, it's also said that the Buddha, on his journey to Buddhahood, um, did some unskillful things, and he had his own karma to pay. And so, besides the fact of old age sickness and death coming to everyone, um, he had some karma to, uh, to burn off. And so, Devadatta got to him. Okay. So that was the second attempt. The third attempt is one that perhaps many of you have heard, uh, where Devadatta says, okay, I can't, I, I can't do it, I'm not going to be able to do it, but I can devise a, a trap for the Buddha. And he goes to um, the mahouts, the elephant takers, the elephant keepers, and there's a famous elephant in the area, Nalagiri, who is a very um, savage elephant. And they, um, the plot is to uh, ply the elephant with liquor, get him drunk, and then send him towards the Buddha, this one street that, um, that he, they goad him towards. And if the Buddha gets out of the way, runs out of the way, it'll seem like he is, um, he's afraid. And Devadatta thinks this will disgrace him. And if he doesn't run out of the way, he'll get trampled. So one way or the other, he's going to show him. And probably a few of you are familiar with this part of the story. The, the mad elephant comes charging towards him and the Buddha, with his own psychic powers, just blasts him with metta so that by the time he reaches the Buddha, he stops and bows down. And what he does, let's see, he... Yeah, so, oh, and, and the Buddha is, is told, um, uh, don't, don't go near the, those, those, um, those guys, um, you know, there's, there's going to be trouble. And he says, don't worry about it, I'll be okay. And uh, he says, it's impossible that anyone can take the Buddha's life by violence. So, uh, so when the Buddha comes, when the when the elephant comes, he where is it? It's beautiful. Oh yeah. So the elephant, when he gets to the Buddha's feet, he takes dust from the Buddha's feet 
and with, with his trunk sprinkles it on his head, after which he retreats backwards for as long as the Buddha was in sight. <clears throat> and then they, he went back to the stables and stood in his own place very calmly. Okay. So once again, doesn't work. So now Devadatta uh, figures he's got one more plot. He says, how can I disgrace the Buddha? He doesn't, it's, it's not clear that Devadatta was behind the whole thing, but the Buddha knows this. But he says, I'm going to create a schism within the Sangha. So he goes to the Buddha and he says, um, Lord, um, I have a suggestion for, for, the, for the order. Um, I think there should be some stiffer rules that you should really uh, really try to um, you know, toughen things up. Let me see if I can find where the rules are. Uh, yeah, five points that conduce to things. And he enumerated these five points. He says, Lord, the Blessed One has in many ways commended one of few wishes whose content devoted to effacement, awakening, scrupulous and amiable, given to uh, diminution of attachment and energetic. Now, here are five points that conduce to those states. It would be good if bhikkhus were forest dwellers for life and anyone who, uh, who wanted to live in a village would be censured. Okay? Just be out in the forest. Let's toughen it up. If they were eaters of begged-for alms food for life, and anyone who accepted an invitation were censured. If they were, refu- if they were refuse wearers for life, any- anyone who wore a robe given by householders were censured. If they were tree root dwellers for life, and anyone who dwelt in buildings were censured. And if they were not, not to eat fish or meat for life, and anyone who did so were censured. So he's saying, come on, let's get tough here. You call your, we call ourselves ascetics. Let's, let's really toughen things. The Buddha says, uh-uh, sorry. You know, those, those who want to do those things can do those things, but I'm not going to impose my will on everybody else. I'll leave it up to people. If, and those who do... I commend them for being really um, ascetic, but sorry. David Datta says, okay, the ones who are really tough yogis come with me. And 500, again, just a number, 500 go with David Datta and say, he's really hardcore. I'm going with him. And the rest say, you know, good riddance. So there's a schism in the Sangha. And Devadatta's uh, got his own thing going for a while. And then the Buddha sends Sariputta and Moggallana to go to the other camp. And he says, go ahead, you go to those guys, see what you can do. They've just gotten, gotten lost. So Devadatta sees Sariputta and Moggallana coming, and he thinks, great, oh, these, the big shots have come to join me. And they're very friendly with Devadatta. Hello, brother. Yes, we've come to, um, to spend some time with you. And he's just thrilled. And somehow he says, I'm getting really tired. Why don't, why don't you give the discourse? I'll just rest a little. He falls asleep. Dave and uh, Sariputta and Moggallana give the discourse, giving the true Dhamma and saying, this is the middle way. And everybody sees the errors of their ways. And lo and behold, Devadatta wakes up and everybody's gone. Right. 
So the Buddha didn't have to do anything more. <clears throat> he, got him, he got him back. So this goes on and on, and uh, at some point, Devadatta just uh, goes off um, humbled and uh, leads a, a, a very lonely life these last few years. And actually, they don't know what, what happened to him. It's, you, know, you only follow the story so far. And the Buddha said, says at the end, though, um, that Devadatta has been overcome and his mind was obsessed by three evil things for which he will inevitably go to states of privation to hell for the duration of the age. What are the three? Evil wishes, bad intent to harm and to harm us and to harm the Buddha. Evil friends, company of bad friends, and stopping halfway with the attainment of the mere earthly distractions, distra- dist- sorry, stopping halfway with the attainment of the mere earthly distinction of supernormal powers. He said, he stopped. Bad to stop. As Trungpa Rinpoche, I remember him saying once, saying, once you start out on the, sp- before you start out on the spiritual path, one should consider it very seriously because it's fraught with perils and with difficulties and uh, this is a hard path. But once started, it's best to finish. So this is Devadatta got stuck halfway. And it's something to consider that even if you have been inspired by the Dharma, don't just coast. Don't just rest on your laurels and saying, hey, I think I've learned how to calm my mind and reduce some stress and uh, you know, feel good within myself. Don't stop there. Keep on waking up. And when I say that, it doesn't mean, oh, you've got to do you know, 10 three-month retreats or, or you're, you're doomed. It just means... Keep looking and growing and waking up and seeing how you can keep on opening your heart, opening your mind, seeing things more clearly, being humble in your process. Because until you're finished with the journey, there's more to learn. And your own unfolding becomes a gift to everybody else. But if you stop at any point and think, I think I got it. I think I figured it out. You ever have that thought? It's a very dangerous thought because the universe comes along and bops you on the head and says, oh yeah, you think so? So um, this is Devadatta's story. And uh, just want to reflect if there's um, anything within that story that... mm, can apply or relate to your own practice, not that you're trying to do anyone in, uh, but just uh, let's, let's go inside for a few moments and then we'll open it up to conversation. And notice times or inclinations when there is ego involved in the practice. Hmm, I'm getting to be a pretty good meditator now. Or, gee, if I really get awakened, maybe I'll impress my friends. Or, maybe some good things will happen to me and, um, or I've done enough. And see if you can get in touch with that place, that, that humble place that really just wants to wake up for the joy of waking up.
and as well, the company that we keep. That was one of the three things. The company we keep. And just to value, of course we can't be surrounded by, by holy people all the time, but just to value and make sure that you're staying connected with people who can help you when you go a little bit off course. And what a blessing that is. So we have a few minutes. Um, any, anything, any comments or questions? Let's see. Um, here, if you can, why don't you come on up here and you can pass it to the next person. Can I ask a question? Sure. Yeah. I had never heard this. Real close to your mouth. Yeah. I had never heard it, but did they ever have a movie of this? In the- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, not that I know of. Yeah, because <laughs> it sounds like <laughs> it would make a great movie. <laughs> you know, just a little thought. Um, this is <laughs> that story was way beyond jealousy. I mean, this obsession. This is power hunger to the to the tenth degree. This yeah, this is serious business. But yeah, on a modest level, jealousy has a positive aspect. I, I mean, just simple jealousy. If we don't go all the way up there. Go ahead. We're, somebody said, we're never really jealous of those that are not within our reach. A friend, a, a friend, someone we know in the community or outside. Jealousy is a little bit of an arrow saying, perhaps you could do similar in your own way. Or perhaps they've attained, mm. for whatever reason, good or bad, but they at least are out there doing. And maybe, maybe you need to be to see that there's a positive element in simple jealousy. That, that's how, I don't, I'm not articulating it hmm. so well. But if we look at simple jealousy, it's not entirely negative. Hmm. Uh, e- either in, in how it manifests, and, and I think it's the way we look at it. If we frame hmm. it as an opportunity to look at all of our desires hmm. and our lower self, we can work with it. There's something there to work with. Although there's, always, there's an irrational piece. Mm-hmm. Why, why am I jealous of you? Why is he, you know? Yeah. That's an, it's an interesting, an interesting um, posit. I, I don't know if I agree. Um, I think inspiration is very positive. I think seeing a possibility and... Uh, of somebody coming to their full potential and inspiring you. But jealousy is inherently a contracted, painful state of mind that is seeing you're not enough. And uh, at least it's in one, it's, it's, it's listed as an unwholesome state. And from what I've seen any time that there's jealousy, it might get you motivated to do things, but coming from that place of wanting to be um, ego-fed, um, in my mind, ha- has, is the roots of suffering. However, inspiration is a whole other thing. So that's how I see it. Yeah, right next to your mouth. Yeah. Can I add a tidbit to the story of? Yeah, the, please David speak up just a bit. So uh, the the king offered the prince his kingdom, right? And he, he said, like, "Oh, put it on an angle." So that's it. Yeah, that's said, it. In 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 ten days is your coronation, and uh, and the the prince couldn't wait, even those, and then he arrested the king before that, and then he imprisoned him. Mm. Oh, with Ajatasattu. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't get to that part of the... the, Yeah, go ahead. Share. Then he starved him, and then he just couldn't wait the months. I mean, uh, his wife, the queen, tried to save him and all that, but he just couldn't wait till he was starved. So in the end, he 
cut open the soles of the king and stuffed it with salt just, just to hasten his death somehow. So just dealt a horrible death to his dad. Yeah. But uh, karma is such that his own son gave him the same treatment. He, he, he was in a hurry to become uh, Ajatasattu's son. Mm-hmm. Ajatasattu's son yeah. did Ajatasattu in. To, to Ajatasattu. Yeah. yeah. It got really messy. Ajatasattu uh, entered into a war with, uh, with his uncle, Pasanadi, and uh, it was really ugly for a while. So there was just karma, just keeping on reaping and reaping. Yeah. So Ajatasattu's son did him in. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, l- last one, very, very quickly. If you, if you here, give the, um, and then we'll close with the loving kindness, just very briefly. Yeah, um, <clears throat> many years ago, after I had been meditating for a couple of years, I started having psychic phenomena, mm. not walking through walls, but interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. And I read that uh, a, a good Buddhist practitioner should not pay attention to that, but just keep practicing. And would I follow the advice? No. I found a very good psychic teacher who was running a course, and um, she said, you can manifest whatever you want. So Mm -hmm. I was in this class, and she said, by the end of this class, you're all going to have your fondest wish, you know, and she was was very good, and I was very good. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the class, exactly on schedule, I got my fondest wish, and very quickly, things changed, and I didn't have it anymore, and it, I suffered for years because of that, mm. and I had to go back very slowly to the mm. practice. Mm. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, and it's not that there's something wrong with psychic powers. It's just if they're done from a benevolent place, you know, like the Buddha had psychic powers, and he used with skill. It's just that grasping uh, that you're planting seeds that are that can be um, bearing not good fruit. So thank you. Okay, so just take a moment and appreciate the fact that we're all here and have good good Dharma friends and come to a Thursday night and practice together. And may our practice be of benefit for all beings, may all beings um, see the goodness inside and share their love well. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all. Okay, thank you very much. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.